It's an honor to meet with one of the greatest vocalists in rock, Lacey Sturm. Absolutely great to have you on The Antidote, Lacey. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been described as both a hard rock princess and a rock goddess, but how was it for you personally <laughs> to deal with accepting a title like that? <laughs> you know, people will say what they say. I know who I am. <laughs> so funny. It is funny that people will do that. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, they're trying to be nice, I'm sure. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be nice. <laughs> You're just going to stick with straight Lacey? Yeah, that's good. Unless you're my four-year-old, you can call me mom. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you've always been an extremely popular artist, so I'm curious whether you've run into fans who want to hold you up to a higher ideal and try to put you on a pedestal. Yeah, I mean, I tell them all the time that's one of the hardest things, actually, about doing what we do is people thinking you're something that you're not, and... You know, I think the greatest thing about getting to meet those people is letting them know that we're just regular people. And um, I, I got to write a book um, called The Reason about my early childhood and coming up and dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts and um, struggling financially with my mom being a single mom with six kids and, and stuff we went through. And... And one of the greatest things that I heard consistently from the people who read the book is that they just saw that I was just a regular girl like anyone that had struggles like anyone. And um, to be able to know that if I can go through that and come out and then it gives them hope they can too. And I'm so thankful to know that the book really did bring me down to that level of relatability is just a human being (laughs) which you know being a goddess is such a stretch you know obviously (laughs) but I think a lot of artists actually want to take on that persona yeah well I think the idea of knowing that you are an influencer not everybody feels that weight Um, they take it as a you know they're just entertaining but I don't really feel like I'm an entertainer. Hopefully I can be more of an inspirer. I want people to feel like they can make it through the dark times and with hope. And that's why I write about the dark times and that's why the music comes across the way it does. It hopefully feels genuine and relatable in that way. But I think that other people that take that on, like I've seen, I've thought of bands like that. And it really is a show, you know. They, they they have fun doing the show. It's just different from what I do. Well, I guess everybody on the planet should know that you were the vocalist of the enormously successful Flyleaf up until the end of 2012. When you left, that must have been hugely emotional for you. Yeah, it was. It was uh, one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. And part of it's just because, you know, Everybody, after 10 years of being in a band, your family. And I've never lived in close quarters on a day-to-day basis with people like that. You know, I mean, you're married to, like, everybody, the crew, the band, everybody's kind of like... <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it's a commune. You know, actually, yeah, it is. You know, you pick up people's underwear off the bathroom floor, and, you know, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> you recognize when so-and-so took their shoes off, because, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know who's there. 
and um, you know him so well, and it is family. And it was it was compounded, you know, with the death of our sound engineer. Um, that weighty emotional choice, knowing that he believed in what we did and finally so much that he gave his life to it. Like he he spent ten years of his life. He walked away from a really good, high paying job to run sound for these kids. He didn't even know if we were going to be any good or not. <laughs> <laughs> he was with us from day one. He was there when we did our showcase for the record label. That he believed in power behind the music to help people. And that was profound. You know, there was him believing in us so much and knowing that it was right and good for him to believe in that. At the same time, knowing that his death really makes you have to wonder, if I only had another year to live, what would I do with it? And really make the choice to do that with it. <laughs> and that's what, what I had to do. You know, I had to make that choice with my family. So it was really hard. Really changes your life focus. Yeah, it narrows your priorities for sure. Something that hasn't changed with you, though, is that the music you did with Flyleaf in your new solo album, Life Screams, are really fairly Christ-centered. But it's funny with musicians. I mean, often they don't want to be labeled as a Christian artist. Has that been an issue for you, Lacey? Um, I think it depends on what you mean by what you're saying. And I don't have any problem at all with people associating Christ or Christian with me or with what I do. Um, I think that the hard part is that so many people who wear the name of Christian don't seem much like Christ. (laughs) So we are hesitant a lot of times to take that name, you know, and to realize people who really want to honor the name of the person of Christ. Um, we tiptoe around that name because people have changed the meaning. But, and, you know, for me, I, I'm not afraid of other people, you know, making stupid decisions. Jesus wasn't afraid, I guess. He'd probably take their breath out. <laughs> you know, I think it's okay with me um, to be called Christian because I know what it means to me. And if someone else, they get mixed up what it means, that's not my problem. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel okay with it. We were talking about you leaving Flyleaf. What changed? What brought you back to decide, okay, hey, I want to be a solo artist and I want to put out an album, Life Screams? Yeah, well, um, actually, when I left Flyleaf, my biggest burden was for the fans who were really still searching for light in the dark. And they found that in Flyleaf music, the people who would say, Something I believed in no longer exists, you know. I just I had this kind of burden for them. I, I can feel the weight of disappointment when you believe in somebody or something, some message, some art, and then it stops, you know, expect it to keep going. <laughs> I can feel that disappointment. And so I continue to answer emails from fans about stuff they were going through and I spent hours and hours just writing people. Um, I would spend an hour on one email because I just, I just love them. <laughs> I just love them. I have so much love in my heart for uh, somebody who really is genuinely searching for some light in the dark. 
because I feel like God has brought me so much light in my own darkness. I feel like this responsibility of sharing what I've been through and however I can. And so my husband was like, you know, you should write a book and you can give the book to them because you can't spend those couple hours that you want to with each person. But you can give them a book and then they can sit and spend a couple hours just reading about what you've been through and how you've come out of those places. And so he made space for me to be able to write a book. He helped me schedule time with his mom for my, my boys to go away with her. And she was so happy and and then uh, once the book came out, we had people ask us to come share my story and just talk to the people who had read it and talk to the kids in the youth group or high schools, you know, as people coming like a halfway house. And I was just able to go and speak about it. And I got asked to do a speaking tour when I had my second. He was two months old and my oldest was two at the time, two years old. And... um and we just really felt like we should do it. And it, I was nervous, but I kept, I couldn't get away from it. So I'm like, we needed to do it. And so we hired a girl to help us with the kids for the times when I was going to speak, which was about 20 minutes each night, usually after they'd already gone to bed. And I uh, didn't have a house to clean, and I didn't have any meals to fix. I had catering. And I got so much just concentrated family time with them. I was like, this is easier than being at home. I'm like, um, <laughs> It's amazing, and my husband realized on that trip, if we did a solo project, not a band where everybody has a say and you have to pay everybody full-time, but we could be able to choose and select the events we did and organize it where we put our families first, then we absolutely could do it. But we didn't know, of course, until that trip, until we realized doing that that if we felt like this is what we need to do, it would be doable, and it would be be able to do it really well, which I didn't think is possible. And also, you know, my friends in Skillet, they have a couple, two children as well. The um, singer, John, and his wife, Corey, are, the guitarists are um, amazing parents, and they travel all over the world, and they do really well, and their kids are so funny and smart and well-adjusted, and so that encouraged us as well. We've spoken about you being married now and being a mom, but have those changes in your life affected your songwriting? Well, I think it puts an, a new sort of urgency in me to make sure that my son knows how to not run from dark things, but face them for what they are. And actually, at, in facing them for the, the darkness that they are, learning how to to know that he doesn't have to become part of something unhealthy, but he can actually bring life into the places that are covered with death. And that's kind of where we're headed with the album release, that we want to sort of leave a legacy that he can look to, um, to see how to stand up in the face of injustice or darkness and be a light. Being a mom actually gives him the urgency about the generation that he's going to grow up in and teaching him how to fight well and live well in the midst of it. And you feel that translates directly right into your songwriting now? Yeah. I feel like the messages that we put in there are the messages we would sing to him. <laughs> you know? 
This is almost a family band that you have now because you have your husband Josh in your band as guitarist. Yeah. I'm gonna get personal here. Is is he obedient and realizes that you really are his boss? Actually no, it is not that way. Although he is he's he's the kind of person who really would hand that over to me if I demanded it. <laughs> <laughs> um and because he's so willing to just go along and believe in what I'm doing. I find him such a safe place to um to go with what he thinks. Although he's he's more timid in expressing I think what he would think. I'm always searching for that and trying to honor that because he's such a smart guy. And a lot of times I know the what in a situation and he knows the when and how. And I get that I don't always do things in the right timing. <laughs> I'm usually too fast or too slow. <laughs> or um, in the how. Um, like, I'm the kind of person like, well, let's just kick that door down right there. we got to go through it. That's where we need to be over there. <laughs> and he's like, well, how about we just knock on the door and wait for somebody to answer? I'm like, well, that could take forever. Might as well just kick it down. <laughs> you know? So um, we're a good team in that way. And he... He's a, a really amazing leader as far as, like, being able to listen and also give advice that is usually really the best idea <laughs> if I listen. <laughs> because Josh is actively involved with your music. Yeah. I think he's a great songwriter, and he's an amazing guitarist, so. And then who starts the lead on that? Does he or do you? It's different, different times. We figured out that if we try to work together at the same time and write at the same time, it doesn't work very well because we're both trying to let the other person lead. <laughs> and nothing gets done. So we, it gets frustrating because he'll try to adjust to what I'm doing. And I'm like, why'd you change what you're playing? And, then, and he's like, well, I'm trying to go with what you're doing. I'm like, I'm not doing anything yet. I'm trying to figure out what you're doing. And so we figured out that it's best for us to figure out our ideas completely separate and then come together and then adjust to each other. <laughs> that really works really well. So it's good to find the way we work best and go with that. <laughs> Back to the album. I'm curious as to why you chose the name Life Screams. Like, is there something in life that's screaming at Lacey Sturm? Well, the title track, the song Life Screams actually encompasses really what I want to say to the people who would hear the song in passing. You know, I think a lot of times our thoughts are consumed with the past or the future and we miss being present while life is like teaching us things and showing us things. You know, we complain about what's going on in front of us instead of trying to just stop and think about what's beautiful about it or what's providential about it. Um, you know, complaining about the weather when there's maybe something really beautiful in it. You know, I, I talk about that in the song Live Screams. I use rain as an example. But I don't know how many times I've I've stood in a crowd of people and or been on a plane and everybody's got their shade down and there's a freaking fire light show sunset happening. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, can we notice? what's going on around us. Same with my children. My children are some of the funniest humans I've ever met. They're so hilarious. And 
when we get busy, you know, they may be pulling on your arm and trying to get you to pay attention and really, you know, you've got some other goal in mind than just paying attention to your kids and say you miss something beautiful in that moment or, you know, even just stopping to listen to somebody else tell you something, looking in their eyes when instead of, you know, being on our phones all the time, it's like we're consumed with this digital world when life is all around us teaching us and leading us to appointments of destiny, you know, that could be amazing, you know, this relationship. You could be sitting next to your new best friend in the whole world, but you missed it because you're on your phone the whole bus ride or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like life is always teaching us and giving us gifts if we would pay attention. (laughs) I think we could all learn from that, myself included. I want to carry on with a pair of tracks that are found on Life Screams called Vanity and Rot that blend into each other. It's disturbingly intimate. It just seems so real. What was it that brought those songs out? Well, I had a friend of mine in the studio with me. His name's Jason, but his stage name, he's a spoken word artist named Propaganda. Oh, yes. And I think he's brilliant. Um, he was just hanging out, listening to the music, and when we were recording it, and he was asking me about what the song Rot was about, and it really is about uh, identifying a counterfeit love um, that feels so real. I mean, I remember when I saw those pictures of Rihanna and Chris Brown, and um, I had just been to Haiti. I went with Samaritan's Purse, which is a disaster relief organization, right after the earthquake. And um, I went to Haiti um, around the same time. And everywhere I went, these people have nothing, but they have these little cell phones. And on their cell phones, Rihanna's playing. I went to South Africa not long after that. And the same thing, Rihanna is a princess in the African-American community, the black community, the Asian community. Um, people look at, you know, to teach them about beauty and love. You know, like I said, not everybody carries the weight of being an influencer like I do. But my heart was just so full of love for these people I was meeting. And to know that so many people out there not only don't know what love means, but they also are trapped in these situations that they feel like they can't get out of because they feel like that's all there is to life, like that's what life has to be like. And I remember growing up that way. In certain situations, my cousin was beaten to death at three years old by his stepfather, who was abusive to my aunt, who was living with us. She was a teen mom, my mom, who was also a teen mom. And then when she moved off, married this man, he murdered her child, and she had the most intense love relationship with him. And I just thought, it's such a picture. I remember on the Flabby tours hearing so many young girls tell me, my, my boyfriend, sometimes he hits me. I don't know what to do about it. I'm like, you're, you're a teenager. You're not married. And you're not trapped. And there's no reason you should allow men to, to hit you sometimes. Ever. You know, especially as a teenager who's not trapped and not married. Why are you with them? Break up. It just seems so simple. 
to me. You know what I mean? Break up with them. <laughs> Tell somebody, say, you need help. You know, they're going to end up in jail. What they're doing is illegal. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, and it doesn't even come into their mind to think about leaving because they think that their love is real. And that's just one side. There's all kinds of unhealthy relationships that people need to let go of but don't know how because they're counterfeit love stories. And when I was explaining the meaning of vanity and rot, which really is beauty masquerading as something that it's not, we, we laugh at things that are funny that we shouldn't laugh at. We, we listen to poetry and music that we shouldn't because it's beautiful when it's worthless and destructive to our soul. And so that's the whole point. And I was explaining this to propaganda and, and um, I was like, would you want to do like a dialogue back and forth where you're like, you're like a pimp and I'm mentally enslaved by you. And he's like, I would never say these things to a woman. I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> he was so upset. <laughs> but he thought the concept was so important. And so that's why I did it. To show what people might actually hear in their homes whether it's between their parents or between each other, to show that this is a real conversation and you can see his side and how poetic it is. And you get it because maybe you live it. But to show it's not right, it's not real love, it's counterfeit love, perverted love. Would you say that Life Screams is really directed at women, or is it more just that you're getting a bit of that flavor because it's coming from a woman's perspective? Yeah, probably. It's not directed at women at all. Um, I think maybe it might be emotional that it might feel, feel that way, because I think um, women tend to be more in touch with their emotions. So for me, um, it's like heart vomit, <laughs> you know, just straight up emotion. Um, but there's a lot of wisdom, too, that, that I think would resonate with them just coming up above the emotion and speaking of the wisdom outside of just that intensity. So you've mentioned you've got multiple roles. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're a speaker, an author, and a musician. How do you really see yourself in the majority of the time? <laughs> um, well, I have a tattoo actually on my arm. It says daughter. If you look at another one, it says laughter. And um, I think the one I'm the most me is when I realize that like God is my father because it makes me feel so free to be all those other things. Um, because I know that there's just such a peace in knowing that I believe in a good, loving God who's going to take care of me and all the people I love better than I have good. And so that really is um, where I get my stability from. <laughs> Lacey, I loved our talk. Thanks so much for taking time <laughs> out of your schedule for the antidote. Thank you. You're so great. You did a great job. You're great at this. <laughs> you have a great show on that.